0: Welcome to the Confab. I'm Eric Felton. This is where the editors and writers of The Weekly Standard get together to talk about what's in the magazine, what's in the news, and whatever else may be on our minds. Fred Barnes is here to tell us about the campaign for Virginia Attorney General. The election is coming up in early November, and it's shaped up as an important contest over what the job of state attorney general should be. And then we'll talk with John McCormick about Senator Jeff Flake, The Arizona Republican is facing a primary challenge from a Trumpy candidate unhappy with Flake's criticisms of the president. It may be typical of GOP primary battles next year. All that coming up on the Confab. Now we get the confab rolling with Mr. Fred Barnes. Fred, how are you doing? I'm doing fine. Good. In the Weekly Standard this week, you are writing about the attorney general race in Virginia. Mm-hmm. Now, an attorney general race might not sound like a particularly exciting topic or mm-hmm. one with uh, wide implications, mm-hmm. but uh, you either you make it interesting or this is a really interesting race with major implications really for the question of what an attorney general is and Mm -hmm. what an attorney general should be doing. Mm -hmm. So before we get into this particular race, maybe set the scene a little bit Mm -hmm. about what's been going on with attorneys general and the way they've been engaging in politics.
1: Well, they have, and uh, and uh, look, there are two different things here about attorneys general. You know, that's the plural. Very awkward. You know, attorneys general. You know, they got the S in the wrong place. But anyway, we'll <laughs> we'll uh, we'll have to live with that. Um, Obama and Republican attorney ge- attorneys general. Uh, changed what's done at least by attorneys general, and and made them much bigger figures than they were before. You remember after uh, Obama decided he he wasn't going to play around with Congress. You know he can't. I've got my pen and my phone, and I can I can do things in executive orders. I can do things without them. So if Congress didn't matter, who were going to the people? These are all Republicans now. Who are going to be the people to stand up to Obama? And it turned out to be the Attorney's General because Obama has as we know, like to expand the federal government in in ways that, that were not authorized, particularly by the Constitution, so there were a lot of battles there. So there was it, a,
0: an opportunity it, for mm-hmm. attorneys general to bring lawsuits of one sort or another yeah. claiming that mm-hmm. the federal action mm-hmm. was unconstitutional.
1: Sure. You remember there was the waters of the USA in which every pond in your backyard, you know, little thing there, well, the federal government was going to take over, and they really did at EPA. They really did. Go hog wild uh, with Leave your work. sprinkler on too long. And it's <laughs> yeah. the navigable waters of the U.S. <laughs> and, and you may be young and you may have a grand jury <laughs> summoning you uh, if, it have, if it happens to be in your backyard. Well, that really started it. And and uh, and now Democrats uh, say, hey, these guys, these Republicans, they had a lot of. Uh, a lot of action going on and they were making some headway against our president uh president Obama and so now they're trying to do the same thing not exactly the same thing but <clears throat> but they they want to be more important too they and so it has become state attorneys general have become major figures in American law and, and in American politics uh, and that makes there's only one race in the country uh, for an attorney general office, and that's in Virginia this year. You know, Virginia also has a governor's race. Now, I happen to be interested in these uh, races for attorney general because uh, a lot of money is being spent in them now. they are ads on television. Now, it didn't used to be any of that, you know. I mean, this is a, so the worst thing you could say about a race for office is that it's a down ticket race. That means forget it you know you don't have to pay any attention to it but but these have become important and this one in virginia is important
0: and in a bit in in a way it's a referendum on this kind of attorney general mm-hmm. behavior because yep. you have an incumbent mm-hmm. the democrat mark herring who has spent the last 4 years really choosing what to enforce and what not to mm-hmm. enforce mm-hmm. and by doing so having more impact on the politics and governance of Virginia than probably the the governor has had.
1: I I think he did even though he didn't get all that much media attention and the governor uh, McAuliffe uh, Terry McAuliffe got a lot more Uh, I think Mark Herring achieved a lot more Uh, now obviously what uh, McAuliffe wanted to do was blocked by the Republican legislature but they couldn't block uh, what uh, the attorney general was he was acting on his own he could decide as he did you know, with that reciprocity agreement we have with st- with states that have these concealed carry laws that you know allow uh, suspicious people to wander around with pistols in their pocket. Anyway, he he just banned it. He decided on his own that we're going to have in-state tuition for uh, young immigrants and so on. He he, he would decide. He he decided the cases. For instance, the voter ID laws in Virginia. And, and they were challenged in court. Well, I'm, I'm not going to defend them. I'm, that was done under, the, under Republicans. And now he's running a campaign that seems to be a campaign. It's nominally for attorney general, but he's acting like he's running for governor, which he really wanted to do anyway, but was not allowed to by the governor. Uh, so, look, AGs are major figures now.
0: So John Adams is the mm-hmm. Republican candidate, mm-hmm. and he's running explicitly on a on a promise Not to behave as a Mm -hmm. politicized AG. Mm -hmm. How compelling is his case?
1: Well, it's. uh, I think it's a a great case. It's an honorable case. It's the case that needs to be made. But I'll have to say, his opponent is completely ignoring it. I mean, he thinks, and he may be right that, you know, this is this is not a big a big vote winner (laughs) kind of issue. It's not a red meat issue for sure, and and uh, it's certainly a valid one, but. and Adams has gotten closer, uh, but uh, Mark Herring, the Democrat, uh, is, uh, is the favorite still. And, and his, of course, the difference between some guy who wants to narrow uh, the AG, the attorney general, they'll go back to it in a traditional way to an attorney general who it plays politics like anybody else in politics, the governor, senators, whatever. Um, it, the, uh, the guy doing that Who's the incumbent? Uh, is the favorite.
0: All right. Well, now we're going to make a pivot. Watch, watch me do this. Okay. Watch <laughs> me make this pivot. The Virginia elections are always a bit of a teaser mm-hmm. for the off-year election that comes uh, two years after a presidential election. Mm-hmm. And uh, so here's our pivot. Let's talk about the uh, the midterm election and how. Steve Bannon is planning to field a mm-hmm. slate of candidates mm-hmm. um, to run against the mm-hmm. conventional Republicans. Mm-hmm. You're not impressed.
1: Well, I'm not at all. I think Bannon is a blowhard, and he uh, says he's going to drive uh, Mitch McConnell out of office as the Senate majority leader. Uh, and I mean, I don't think he has uh, the force, the money, the candidates uh, to do that, but he, he talks big. Yeah, and the media loves it. Because they, you know, they always love blowhards. It's been going on for centuries, don't you think, Eric? <laughs>
0: and especially blowhards who make Republicans look ridiculous. That especially. Catnip. For, uh, catnip the is, uh,
1: it, it is a good way to put it. And he's, he's lined up a few candidates uh, in Nevada and so on and— uh, and, and, and I know some of them, they're mostly losers, you know, Danny Tarkanian running in, in Nevada in the Republican primary for the uh, Senate where the Republicans have an incumbent, uh, Senator Dean Heller. Uh, he's a five-time loser. He, he's run before. I've met him. I've talked to him. Perfectly nice guy. I wouldn't call him the brightest bulb in the galaxy, but, uh, he, you know, he's there's nothing wrong with him at all. But, uh, I mean, he's a certified loser. And, and, and so when Steve Bannon shows up in town and says, I'm looking for candidates, these are the people who, who show up for the meeting. So, uh, and you know, Bannon uh, got a lot of credit in the, in the media for having won that primary uh, for the Senate seat in Alabama. And, you know, Roy Moore was his guy and so on. The truth is Bannon had no impact there at all. Uh, Roy um, Roy Moore was ahead in the beginning. He won the primary, and he was ahead. He and was he a well-known
0: fixture in
1: it, Alabama. Politics. Extremely well known, and being a very a noisy evangelical Christian, uh, he had a, a very big uh, a following among that group. Um, I know some of them, and uh, uh, and now he's tied with the Democrat. Well, a Democrat. I mean that. Me, that means there are a lot of Republicans who are telling pollsters they're not going to vote for Rory Moore. They may vote for this Democrat, and
0: this is, of course, the the real threat. If you get wacky primary, mm-hmm. wacky candidates mm-hmm. who are successful in the primaries, is then this creates an mm-hmm. opportunity that was otherwise sort of unthinkable that Democrats would uh, be in a position to take back the Senate.
1: You know, they have 25 seats uh, at stake, democratically held seats, and Republicans have only eight. So the vulnerability of, of Democrats is so great and bad, and, and, and Bannon, at least if you believe his talk, uh, isn't helping. Uh, and you know anybody can go out and say, uh, "I'm going to round up all these candidates, and they're going to run, and they're going to knock out these incumbent Republican senators, and then uh, w- we're going to send Mitch McConnell packing back to Kentucky." Uh, well, it's easy to say; he shouldn't be taken seriously. Bannon's a serious person. If you, I mean, there've been books written about him, uh, his uh, effect on, on on the campaign. I mean, he was obviously uh, worked for uh, Donald Trump and helped but he's uh i'm afraid he's out of his depth i mean this is big national politics he's not just dealing with one candidate uh and uh, and a lot of what he says is uh, is uh, pure uh, hokum i want to see anthony scaramucci run for something <laughs> well that's the kind of guy he can probably get you know <laughs> if it's uh the it, it used to be that uh, the press we, we could count on them to to separate the legitimate, uh, the other people with a legitimate role in politics and those who are just the blowhards. But it, it, it's getting hard for the media these days.
0: Well, we do what we can here at the Confab. <laughs> Fred Barnes, As thanks always. for joining us. I enjoyed it. Now we welcome to the Confab Mr. John McCormick, senior writer of the Weekly Standard, and the man who has the cover story in the magazine this week. John, how you doing? Doing well. So you lucky man, you got to go out to Arizona to cover the Senate race of Jeff Flake, who has gone somehow from being a Tea Party darling to being the dreaded establishment candidate. What happened?
2: Uh, you know, I think there are a couple explanations for that. It, it is part policy and it's uh, part po- partisanship. Um, The policy aspect is that, you know, Back in 2010, 2012, uh, J- Jeff Flake was in Congress for about a decade uh, before he ran uh, for Senate back in 2012 for the won his first term. You know, he was known as a small government, fiscal conservative. Uh, he bucked uh, President Bush, Republican leaders in Congress on things like earmarks, um, you know, on things like No Child Left Behind, the Medicare prescri- prescription drug benefit. Um, those were the issues he was known for. So he won his primary with something like 70 percent of the vote back in 2012. You know, in in the Years since um, the issues where he's kind of stuck his neck out has been on things like uh, immigration. He was part of the bipartisan Gang of Eight uh, back in 2013 that put forward that uh, immigration reform proposal that passed the Senate. uh, Was very divisive in the Republican Party and uh, never got a vote in the House of Representatives. So it's part policy he's now known for those things, but I think it's more 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 than that. It's partisanship because uh, Flake's been one of the foremost people who in the Republican Party who have spoken out. Um, against President Trump when when Flake has thought that he's said something uh, wrong, unethical, immoral, unconservative. uh, He's more often than not, he's spoken out. He even wrote a book, a slim book uh, called A Conscience of a Conservative, a nod to to, to the Conscience of a Conservative, Barry Goldwater's uh, famous book, of course. Um, So that's really where it stands. This is now probably the top opportunity for people like Steve Bannon. Right. Another- Steve
0: Bannon's got this enterprise now, the former presidential advisor. Um, he is out to challenge at the primary stage every one of the establishment Republican senators in the country. Flake would seem to be his target number
2: one. Yeah. According to Bannon, it was everybody except Ted Cruz. Um, So Flake, you know, there are only eight Republican held seats up in uh, 2018. Bob Corker is retired. And so uh, Arizona is really the best shot. Uh, Kelly Ward's up in the polls. You
0: know, who's Kelly Ward?
2: Kelly Ward is the Trumpist candidate. Challenger, the populist challenger in Arizona, who's challenging Jeff Flake. She actually ran back in 2016 and lost John McCain, 52 percent to 39 percent. So that's why I say it's it's not just policy. You know, John McCain, he was part of the Gang of Eight. John McCain is for free trade. John McCain is for uh, projecting American strength abroad, for promoting American values abroad. People say, call some, some will call that nation building. Uh, in some cases, uh, Flake is more libertarian, but you know, it, it doesn't make sense to say that it's just about policy and McCain, you know, could could win big time and then uh, Flake be down just if it was about policy. So I do think it is a fact that, you know, uh, McCain at the time of his primary, he still supported, quote unquote, the nominee of my party. Uh, Flake, on the other hand, he's been outspoken against president uh, for a long time now. And the polls show him where? He's down. You know, there haven't been very many good polls. Uh, there have been a few. They all tend to show him down double digits, maybe, you know, 10, 14, some, some even more. Uh, I've heard some people have said I have not seen anything, but some private polls suggest it's a little closer, but he is down. Um, and that's a very bad place to be if you're an incumbent. You know, if you're an incumbent, you're supposed to be a known quantity. Uh, if you were a challenger or running for an open seat, it's an easier Easier hill to climb. Um, on the other hand, Flake is only in his first term. He, he might not be as well defined for people. He might have an opportunity to do that. Um, but it's very hard in an environment where Donald Trump takes up ninety-eight percent of the oxygen in the, in the room of any political any political conversation uh, to to define yourself positively. You know, it's it, your reaction, your stance uh, regarding Trump will kind of define you. And the fact of the matter is most, the vast majority of Republicans uh, voted for and support Trump. And the Republican Party is inherently a, a coalition of people who don't like Democrats for whatever reason. And uh, when you are- I like that
0: as a definition. <laughs> and it, because it does basic. cut to it's something basic, about a yeah. lot of what the, the grassroots likes about Trump is that he sticks it to the left. Exactly. And and if you define the party as a coalition of people who like sticking it to the left one way or another or just don't like Democrats, then that makes more sense.
2: Yeah. And and I guess it it makes sense in that sense. On the other hand, Trump its it's become so partisan, uh, so much about this cult of personality that Trump can even, you know, strike a deal with the Democrats or take a Democratic position and his... Defenders, just partisan defenders, will talk about how he's playing, you know, th- three or four dimensional chess, and you just don't understand how brilliant he is.
0: And usually, all they have to do is wait a couple of days, and whatever that suggestion was to a deal with the Democrats is, and all of a sudden, no longer an operative's.
2: Yeah, once he changes his mind, that, that just shows the brilliance of of his first position. But you know, I do th- I think personally the, the the bigger issue with Trump and something that Flake gets to in his book is really it's much more about temperament and character. And 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 Flake Flake gets that. He he you know he he's a former think tank president of the Goldwater Institute. He wants to talk about free trade and immigration and all these big ideas and deficit spending and entitlements. But he, he keeps being drawn back to the fact that the president um, you know is is degrading the party, the culture, and he feels the need to speak out, and, uh, you know, he says that yeah. if we if we excuse uh, behavior that we'd call it on the other side, then we're hypocrites. If we, if we you know, do that as a matter of, of routine discourse, then we're corrupt. So pretty strong words he has for fellow Republicans who are, uh, you know, just defending things that they would never defend. And at
0: um, risk not only of alienating his fellow Republicans, but of coming across as a little bit stuffy himself.
2: Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that Jeff Flake definitely does have sort of that, um, you know, a think tank president, of a little bit aloof, uh, I guess.
0: One of the analysts that you talked to for your piece suggested that if Jeff Flake is to have a chance, he needs for some other candidates to get into the race and uh, split up the anti-Flake vote.
2: Well, yeah, I mean, Donald Trump knows better than anyone that if you're running in a multi-candidate field, you can win a race with in 30-some percent of the vote. And so if, uh, you know, another candidate were to get in the race, that could potentially make the, you know, uh, the... the mar- and this uh, is in the primary. In the primary, primary about, right, yeah. yeah. So there are a couple other names being put out there. Former Arizona Republican Party chairman um, Robert Graham, he's cr- in an interview with me, he criticized both Ward and Flake. He thinks that Ward is somewhat of a, of a fringe extremist uh, figure. She she's a flake yeah, oh, wait wait no what, no we can't uh, say that I, yeah uh, she uh she held an event, a uh, town hall event, where they discussed this idea of, quote-unquote, chemtrails, which is a conspiracy theory that uh, those white jet exhaust streaks you see in the sky aren't actually uh, jet exhaust, but rather uh, chemicals being put there. Uh, not exactly clear who or what purpose, but generally nefarious it's purposes. A conspiracy. It's conspiracy. pretty crazy. Um, and uh, Kelly Ward says she didn't believe that. She was just holding a forum for people to ask questions, and now she doesn't believe information that. Information session. Just asking questions, uh, you know. Um, But it's still pretty crazy. Um, And and that's one thing that the uh, former chairman criticized her for. He also just thinks that Blake is too anti-Trump. That's what he's defined as. He hasn't defined himself positively in any other respect.
0: Is there any sense that uh, Republicans are worried that uh, whatever happens in the primary, the candidate will be so weakened that Democrats will have a shot in Arizona?
2: Oh, definitely. I mean, Donald Trump only won Arizona by 3.5 percentage points. So I think right now, no matter who wins, if if it's one of these candidates, the Republicans are the underdog in Arizona. Uh, The Democrats got together who they're going to run? Yeah, Kristen Sinema um, is uh, the uh, is the Democratic candidate. Uh, She's a member of the House, and um, you know I I just focus on talking to on the Republican primary for this thing. But uh, she's definitely in a in a pretty good position, especially in a backlash year um, against uh, against Donald Trump against Republicans.
0: All right, a race to watch. John McCormick, thanks for joining us on the confab. Thank you. That's it for the Confab this week. Be sure to tune into the Confab every week. Just go to iTunes or Google Play for a free subscription, or go to our website, weeklystandard.com. Thanks so much for listening. I'm Eric Felton. Catch you next time.